Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. Today, we have one of our favorite guests because she's so, so helpful to us. Back again, licensed psychologist, Dr. Katherine Sherrod. Welcome. Thank you. It's always so nice to be here. So May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we're going to focus on what we need to do to preserve our mental health and to maybe better it. There are a lot of people who may not feel like they're at their peak of fitness as far as mental health goes. I would say an awful lot of people would believe they're not at their peak of fitness. Honestly, it seems to me that more people are struggling. And and I know COVID's been kind of with us for a while, but I really do think it had an impact on Mm -hmm. our country, on people, because I think so many people felt helpless for so long that it was a little difficult for them to come out from under that and go back to feeling as if mm, they have some impact on on life, on themselves, on their relationships, on their work, on, on almost anything. And I think we're being a little bit slow to come back to feeling okay. And I think part of what you hit on was feeling helpless. I remember hearing or reading one time that your happiness is in direct proportion with the amount of control you feel you have in your life. If I feel like I have no control over my life and I feel helpless, that directly affects my happiness. Yes and no. So um, I love when you say that. <laughs> if, if we believe that we don't have any control over our lives then, and we feel helpless or hopeless, then, yeah, we're likely to be depressed or angry or scared or some kind of emotion that's fairly unpleasant. But the reality is, I always tell people, you actually don't have any control over life. You might think you do and you might want to, but here's the deal. You have the option to do your best. You have the option to be as effective as you can be, but you don't have any control over the outcome. Think about it, really. Mm -hmm. You drive from here to there, or you invite somebody to something, or you enter a proposal for whatever. And whatever it is you do, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. This is a strange analogy, but even when we think about sports, we go to the Super Bowl and we know this team is going to win. Why do we bother with the Super Bowl? Why do we just say that team's going to win? Well, because the reality is you don't know. So they're all out there doing their best and sometimes this one wins and sometimes that one wins. So we don't actually have control over the outcome. Mm Mm-hmm. And what I find is that people who are focused on doing what they can do are much more likely to be happy than people who believe they should have control over the outcome because every time they discover they don't have control over the outcome, they get upset. A lot of people are going to be hearing about Mother's Day and Father's Day in the next few months. One of the things we wanted to talk about was the feelings that it's churning up. Right. It looks like on social media, for example, and on commercials, on TV, for example, everything is idyllic. Mother is wonderful. She gets a diamond necklace and mother is wonderful. And my dear blessed mother. And there's a picture of her and uh, our friend as a child on social media. And the reality is not everybody had that idyllic, wonderful childhood and that great relationship with mom. We start there and we'll move on to dad's. Boy, you have put your finger on something so important that some people have mothers who honestly shouldn't have been mothers. Um, They weren't loving. They weren't caring. They weren't nurturing. They 
you might have been more invested in alcohol. They might have been more invested in their own relationships. Who knows what they might have been invested in? Or sometimes mothers are invested in their children becoming something the mothers want them to be rather than nurturing what the children need to be. And that can be devastating if you take it personally and think, my mother didn't treat me well because I don't deserve to be treated well, that there's something about me that made me treated that way. And it's so important to realize that how other people treat you is really incredibly about them and not about you. And so for all of my clients who come from homes where they were not treated well or were mistreated directly, I work really hard to teach them that that unfortunately was a reflection on your mother or your father or whomever. And you were a valuable human being who unfortunately was in the wrong place at the wrong time and you didn't get treated the way you want to be treated. And often what I'll do is I'll come up with an example who isn't them, who was treated badly, but in a slightly different way. And what I'm looking for is my client to feel empathy with that other child Mm -hmm. who got treated badly and they feel something for that child and they don't blame that child. It's like, how could three-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 15-year-old have done anything to deserve that? They didn't. And so they feel great empathy with that child. And then I get to ask, you were that child in a slightly different position. So you're not feeling empathy with yourself if you believe you there was something wrong with you right. that caused you to be treated like that. You're abandoning yourself like you were abandoned at home. So as you feel empathy for these other kids yeah. who are not treated well, I want you to feel empathy for yourself because you're just like them. Valuable, wonderful human beings who needed something more than you got. So one of the things I think that a lot of people don't realize is that in some ways... It's never too late to get the mother that you didn't have. What do you mean? So, for example, yeah, I know that sounds strange. For example, I've got a client who says, my in-laws are the parents I never had. Oh. They're interested in me. If I take up knitting, they want to see what I'm doing. It doesn't matter what I do. They're interested in me. And they have really changed my view of myself because they just care about me as a person, not for any particular thing. And I know other people who have adopted, as it were, older next door neighbor mm-hmm. who uh, didn't have any children. And we talk sometimes over coffee or we go shopping. And in a lot of ways, she's what I wish my mother had been. Mm-hmm. So I suppose she's kind of like my borrowed mother. Mm-hmm. I think that if you Go through life believing that the only mother you can have is the one who gave birth to you, then you have limited yourself to not looking for these other options and these other opportunities. And I always encourage people to be open for what somebody else is looking for, because just as you might be looking for a mom, there's somebody out there who's looking for a daughter or a son or somebody to spend time with Mm -hmm. and care about and be interested in your kids or your life or whatever. It's amazing the resilience that people have when they open themselves up to new opportunities. I did not have a great childhood. Uh, My mom was unable to be the mother that I thought a mother would be at that right. time. I was a kid, 
also, so I didn't really understand what was going on. But when I became an adult, I moved away, became an adult. I tended to be drawn toward older ladies. And so I right. didn't realize it for a long time until one of them said, oh, my gosh, I'm old enough to be your mother. And, I, and it kind of hit me. I was like, whoa. Oh, you are, in fact, exactly old enough to be my yes. mother. And that's what I needed. And we love each other. And I'm able to care for you and say all the things I would love to have said to my mom to crack her up and take her things and be nice to her and somebody to be sweet to as well as someone who is, like exactly. you said, interested in me. And so I like to look at these situations as sort of informal adoptions. Yeah. You, you have adopted each other. This, this person has become very important to you. Yeah. But only because you're also important to them. It really is a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. And each person is getting out of it what they want, what they need, what helps them to feel more fully human. Mm -hmm. So a lot of families don't have moms even involved at all. They, they have guardians, they have aunts and uncles, they have extended families. There are maybe no women involved. Maybe it's the, the dad or uncles or grandparents Correct. or something. Is that working out well? Is it better if you have a chance to have kind of an extended family when the first... When, when the birth... biological set of parents doesn't somehow work for you, yes. is it better to have an extended family? Yeah, It's better to have somebody. And that could be an extended family... Honestly, it could be a teacher at school. It could be a next-door neighbor. It could be the parents of a friend. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes the parents of a friend will take you over and take you to your sports events or mm -hmm. give you dinner when it looks like you haven't eaten much recently. Oh. So you never really know exactly where the help is going to come from. But it's important to have somebody and whether they're biologically related to you or not is not the most important factor. Sometimes if they're biologically related to you, it helps because you enjoy the same music, you enjoy the same humor, you like sports or you like to read, whatever, mm -hmm. and people are different. And sometimes the biologically related people actually don't seem to share the commonality. So yeah. then it doesn't matter whether... The people you informally adopt are directly related to you or not. But so I, I would say blessings on the people who come from those wonderful families that they write the Hallmark cards for mm -hmm. that everybody shows on TV and that's the ideal. But blessings also on the people who put the effort into or are lucky enough to find an informally adoptive family after they've left their home of origin. If you're just joining us, first of all, uh, I'm Anna Marie and this is Focus and we're talking with Nashville psychologist Dr. Catherine Sherrod and Mother's Day, Father's Day both approaching. Uh, right now we're talking about mothers and mothering. I've heard so many people say, this is my work mom. <laughs> There's a work mom often who yeah. kind of has her little nest of little chicks little that she chickadees, takes care of. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah proving that you can informally adopt somebody anywhere. And they're always older women who are looking to adopt. They're looking for the little chicks to take care of. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is volunteer to be <laughs> one, of, <laughs> one of the chicks. It can create a, a very lovely relationship. You can take vacations together. You mm -hmm. can cook dinners together. You can do whatever it is you do. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, I, I like that. I like your mentioning that because I, I hadn't, hadn't said that. And that sort of stretches it. Your informally adoptive mom could come from anywhere. 
And even I've noticed having friends who had cancer, Mm -hmm. there are often people in that uh, club, as they call it, Mm -hmm. a club that nobody wants to be in. Right. There are even people in that group who take it upon themselves to, okay, you're newly in this group, so to speak, and they reach out to the people Mm -hmm. who've just been diagnosed and go, let's, you know, call me if you want me. Let me just tell you, here's some things you can expect. Here's what you might need. And, And they become kind of apparent in a different way. Yes, in a specific area, Mm -hmm. because um, going through cancer or any other medical challenge, if you're newly diabetic or whatever, then you need information that the doctor might not sit down and and tell you all the specifics. You need somebody to repeat it enough times that you get it. You need somebody to say, I've been there and I've heard that. Mm -hmm. So always, I think... The example of somebody who has walked the path you're walking is so important. Yeah, who's walked the path you're walking. Right. This is the, the, one of the whole things that um, Alcoholics Anonymous or any of the 12-step groups are built on. Oh. So not only do you go through the 12 steps and you work on these things together, but you're expected to get a sponsor if you really want to be successful. Mm-hmm. So your sponsor is your mentor. Oh. So you're... Your AA parent, as it were. I mean, that's not what they call them as a but sponsor. Yeah. But still, they're the ones you call when you're having a hard time. They're yeah. the ones you call, well, how do I deal with this? And so it is generally recommended that you have a sponsor that, that meets your needs, mm-hmm. um, male or female, or but often a little bit older than you. So often the sponsor would be a little bit older. So that tends sponsor. to be part of our nature as human beings to need to have someone. Yeah. Yeah. Who guide us. Guide who, us. Who right. is uh, more experienced in where the path leads. We are social creatures. Some of us are more social than others. But regardless of whether we're highly social or just a little bit social, humans are pretty much a social species that works on teamwork. So that there are some of us who do this and some of us who do that. Mm-hmm. And we support each other by having different skills and talents and characteristics we recognize then that we don't all have to be the same and we can get support from each other give support and is a very important part of life okay in fact there's been research showing that people who have friends literally live longer than people who feel isolated and cut off and don't have friends and it's just that support that social aspect of us it appears to be yeah. Um, that people who feel isolated are much more likely to feel depressed. They're much less likely to take really good care of themselves. But if you have a support system, a social support system, um, we play cards on Friday night or whatever it is we do. We go to the movies once a month. I have to keep myself healthy or I won't be able to play cards with you Friday right. night. If I get sick, I won't be able to go to the movies with you once a month, whatever it is we do, mm-hmm. or we take a walk on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we walk for 30 minutes. I can't miss that. And literally, you actually can affect whether you get sick or not. One of the things I've observed um, from working with people is that my clients who don't like work are much more likely to wind up sick on Monday morning. Oh, no, really? Oh, like, seriously. Literally. I have a cold. I'm, um, I got the flu. I did what I, I, I think I wrenched my shoulder. Mm-hmm. It hits on Monday morning. And so I can't go to work. But 
the ones who love work and don't like the isolation of the weekend are much more likely to get sick on the weekend. And they will not be sick on Monday because they have to go to work. That's because we have that one thing to look forward to. Yeah. And we're going to take care of ourselves at the appropriate time to make sure we can do it. We do. And it's subconscious. This is not a decision people make. Yeah. This is just an accident. I don't know why I get sick on Monday morning. I don't know why I got sick on Friday night or Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And now you've made me think of stories of people who are close to passing away and they mm-hmm. kind of hold on until a birthday. Absolutely. Uh, so a big special event in the family's life. Absolutely. It could be their own celebration, my birthday. It could be your wedding. I, I, I can't die before that. Yeah. So it is amazing that we actually have more control over our physical selves than anyone realizes. And then after the event is over, I can go now. I'm okay. Bye. Speaking of taking care of our physical selves and the effect it has on our mental health, Right. Are there physical things we can do to make our mental health better? Oh, good question. The reality is bodies were made to move. So if we walk, and I said something about walking Tuesday and Thursday, but the reality is we probably need to walk at least six days a week, preferably seven days a week. And if we could walk 15 to 30 minutes a day, that would be sort of a minimum. Yeah. We have to keep the body moving. It increases our metabolism. It increases our um, typically well-being. Yeah. Uh, so one of the interesting corrections for depression is activity. Um, so if you can get a depressed person to do something, to go shopping, to make a dinner, to whatever, they typically will feel better. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a guarantee. Nothing's a guarantee. But yeah, physical movement yeah. tends to be good for the body. And we've had a, a round of doctors in um, our lives recently in our family. And one of the biggest things the heart doctor said, the cardiologist said, was 30 minutes a day, at least five days a week. And you've got to get it up into the aerobic range. You need to, like, pick it up, pick up right. the, you, the you, pace. You can't just be shuffling along. Yeah. Um, you, you, you need need to put a little energy into that. Mm-hmm. Get your heart moving. Uh, Get your heart moving. Yeah, get your whole body moving. So So. there are also studies that show that even if you exercise during the day, then if you sit more than three hours straight, it pretty much cancels out the exercise. It increases your chance of morbidity, regardless of other factors. I didn't know that. If you sit for hours at a time. So you're supposed to, like, during the course of an hour, 15 Uh, minutes, get up, move around. Right. You know, 5 or 10, 15 minutes. And then because some people do sit all day long at their jobs or they get home and they sit all evening i'm gonna binge watch for four hours right i'm tired i don't want to do anything else yeah yeah yeah, that that could happen so you said bodies are meant to move that's bodies are meant to move that that's very simple so that's one another one is to drink enough water Mm -hmm. a lot of times we don't drink enough water and typically by the time you feel thirsty or dehydrated you're dehydrated you you really have not got enough water in you so what you want to do is kind of stay ahead of yourself and keep a glass of, of water with you and just drink from it periodically to keep your hydration level up. Mm-hmm. That That is a really good thing. I've, I've known a couple of people who just really kind of got dizzy. I haven't been feeling well and discovered 
I was just not drinking enough water. I was dehydrated. Yeah. And without water, your body doesn't function right. Yeah, you can't get the fluids to move around in there if you don't have any water. <laughs> you there. don't have any fluids, yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing people going to the hospital for dehydration. Like, it, it, it exactly. just shut their bodies down. I literally have had a friend who went to a restaurant, passed out in the restaurant, carted off to the hospital. The only thing was dehydration. That's serious stuff. That shuts your organs down. They can't, they don't have anything to <laughs> right. keep them running. Right. So keep your glass of water with you and just sip all through the day and you'll probably be okay. Okay, so these um, are steps, physical steps that we can take to help our mental health be pretty, better. Pretty simple ones. We're talking with uh, Nashville licensed psychologist, Dr. Catherine Sherrod. We started off talking about Mother's Day, but also about the mental health issues that it could dredge up when we see all these images of this idyllic, this perfect scene of Mother's Day and how we can get mothers in our lives later. It right. doesn't have to be the biological person. No, I think it, it's important to keep yourself open to a relationship that works for you, regardless mm -hmm. of whether anybody thinks it should work for you. What is the importance of a father in a relationship or a male figure? I know there are lots of families these days that don't have a, a male head of the household in the picture Correct. At, at all. Is it the same thing? Hopefully we find someone else who's able to step in and help with mentoring it it is exactly the same thing because kids want fathers as much as they want mothers and so often you'll find when there's a father missing then the sports coach becomes more important mm -hmm. or the band leader or the father of a friend becomes important uncles uncles somebody, yeah. yeah somebody in the family again it could be the next door neighbor you don't know where the person is going to be found if you're a child, you probably want both a mother and a father, and whether they're together or whether you find them separately, it seems to be important for kids to have the influence of both, that kids who have the influence of both types of parent are more comfortable with themselves in life and, and tend to do better in life in terms of, in terms of knowing themselves, mm -hmm. in terms of moving forward in a way that makes sense for them. So it's not necessarily that they get a great job or make lots of money. It is that they know themselves and they are satisfied with who they are. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily having to prove something to somebody. And we're not talking about uh, same-sex couples. It's not like, well, there's a lack, there's deficit because there's not a man in the house. What you need is influence of different types. So it is important not to just have one type of uh, mentor because that person will give you one type of encouragement and recognition and appreciation. Mm -hmm. When you have someone with a different set of characteristics, then they notice different things about you. They correct you in different ways. They encourage you in different ways. And it is that very difference that creates um, an emotional richness in your life. Oh, wow. That's a great way to put it. Different, uh, lots of different inputs, different, right. different characteristics into your life. So it's interesting. Sometimes parents with different characteristics will not be very happy with the way the other parent does things. Oh. And in some cases, actually, the other parent who is doing it in a way that this parent doesn't like is stretching the child in a way that's going to be beneficial for them later. Oh. It's not always a bad thing to have somebody push you or stretch you or prod. And I'm not saying 
that we we want to push kids, but it's not like we never want to push them. So that, for example, they don't want to brush their teeth before they go to bed. It's seems to me fair to push them so their teeth don't fall out later. I mean, there there are consequences that we might be trying to protect them from, not just necessarily being difficult. What about the older siblings who have, by circumstance, I don't want to say being in the wrong place at the wrong time, but by circumstance, had to become kind of the parent to younger siblings? The surrogate parent. Um, Older siblings can sometimes do an amazing job. Now, one of the problems with older siblings being the parent is that it's often very difficult for them to know when to let go. So they often took over the protective role, the caring role so early that they miss the part where parents push the kids out of the nest. And so it's hard for these older siblings to push the younger kids out of the nest. They want to keep helping them. Mm -hmm. And that makes it harder for the younger ones to learn to fly on their own. The Mm -hmm. older ones become very competent and the younger ones sometimes rely on them a great deal. But nonetheless, nonetheless, some of these older siblings do an absolutely incredible job. If you're just joining us, I'm Anna Marie, and this is Focus, and we're talking with Nashville psychologist Dr. Catherine Sherrod. There are other instances where parents don't want to let go. Or, where, well, that's true. <laughs> and is it because of their need to be needed, or they, they just haven't? Well, sometimes parents won't let go because they need to be needed. If they have, if they have made the child the center of their universe, mm-hmm. then they're not really very comfortable with the child learning to fly on their own. Uh, so they kind of want to hold them back, which they see as support, but it kind of actually holds them back. Interestingly enough, I think this is becoming a bit more common so that, you know, decades ago, kids would kind of leave the house in the morning and go find their friends to play and they might come back for lunch and Mm -hmm. then they'd go out and they'd come back when it was dark. Yeah. Um, but now kids don't just leave the house and go off to the empty lot to play ball, they they go to organized activities and they're not often left to their own devices to figure things out. Mm-hmm. If they're bored, they go to their parents and say, I'm bored, you have to do something to help me with this. Oh. Whereas decades ago, if a kid had gone to their parent and said they were bored, that often would have meant, uh, well, now you can clean out the oven. You need to ah. take the dog for a walk. You need to sweep yeah. out the back porch. So Kids didn't go to their parents and say they were bored because they, they kind of knew what was going to happen then. But now if kids go to their parents and say they're bored, many parents believe they have to come up with something uh, to entertain the child, that the child shouldn't be unhappy or bored. And unfortunately, many of our children don't seem to know how to self-soothe. They don't seem to know how to solve their own problems. Oh, I can tell you as a psychologist, so many parents are dedicated to making sure their children are happy. And I see more unhappy children than I have seen in a long time. And what occurs is that these children learn that is intolerable for them ever to be unhappy. Somebody must make them happy. Oh, everybody's a winner. Nobody loses a game. Nobody gets a bad score on a test. Nobody, whatever. Nobody has a problem that they're all special and they're all wonderful and they don't deal well with obstacles. And guess what? 
when you get to be an adult, you're probably going to have obstacles that you need to get over on your own. Mm -hmm. And you just can't solve enough problems for a child to make the rest of their adulthood problem free. And I have seen that a lot in people that I that I know where they hit an obstacle and it's treated like this is the end of the world. I guess because them, they don't know how to get around obstacles. It is the end of they, the world for them. Dead end. I don't know how to get around this because right. I never learned when I was a kid and something little happened and I learned. And then something a little bigger happened and I learned. Now this Correct. seems insurmountable. It is insurmountable if you don't have coping skills. If you never learn to fall back on your own skills. And if you never learned, sometimes things simply don't turn out the way you want them yeah. to. And now what are you going to do about it? How are you going to deal with it? You mentioned very early on, how do we become happy? We typically become happy by being happy with what we have, not by having what we want. Because traditionally, if we're not happy with what we have, we're not going to be happy even if we get what we want. Right. Because happiness is a homegrown commodity. Yeah, I like that. It is not given to me by my new apartment or my new car or my new relationship or my new anything. It comes from me. Yeah. And I don't mean to say that you can't have a really bad thing happen and then you're not happy. And I I totally get that. But in many cases, what needs to change is something internal. And let's look at it from, again, my position as a psychologist. People come to me because they're not happy about something, more than likely. Can I change their environment? Can I change their situation? Can I change their childhood? Uh -uh. No, I cannot change any of those things. And yet, the people who are successful in therapy change themselves, and nothing has changed about their history. And maybe nothing will change about their current situation, but maybe it will because they're going to be different in their situation. It's not that I fix anything for people, but I help people see what they can do to alter the way they interact with their work, with their relationships, with their relatives, with their Mm -hmm. whatever. Well, I hate to say this, but we're out of time. Again? So soon? (laughs) Four days later. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? Is there anything finally that you want to add as we wrap this up, Dr. Sherrod? I am continually impressed and amazed by people's resilience. And if you can't find your own resilience, I encourage you to find someone who can help you get in touch with your own resilience. It's an important characteristic of us humans. And whether it's a psychologist or whether it's a mentor. A mentor, a friend. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I love your questions. Thank you. We'll put all the links and all the info on our Focus Facebook page. Please make sure you join us again next week. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.